Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Uh, today I'm having a conversation with uh, Dr. Jackie Combs. Jackie is a former CEO of Imra Global, Executive Chair of Mining 3, and Chair of International Center for Radio Astronomy Research. Jackie, thank you for your time. I look forward to our conversation. Thank you, Sheila. I'm looking forward to it as well. That's so I, I wanted you, you, you've worked with uh, Centers of Excellence, and I wanted you to just uh, share with us your view on what the contribution is that Centers of Excellence can make to progress with respect to the fourth industrial revolution. Thank you, Sheila. I'd, I'd suggest that one of the primary roles of a Center of Excellence is to defragment efforts. There are so many pods of, of capability, hubs of excellence um, around the world. And I think one of the pri primary goals of a center of excellence is really to defragment and therefore make the investment into research and development and innovation, as well as capability building a lot more efficient. So uh, by inference you suggest there's a lot of uh fragmentation why is that a problem from a a knowledge and an innovation perspective one of the problems that we are facing is is well a couple of problems but one of the primary problems is um talent pipeline or or, or dearth in our in our talent pipeline um, and if we are inefficient in how we develop capability, we may be investing in the same things over, over different areas when we could actually be investing in much more breadth and therefore much more depth. I think the interconnectedness of knowledge is critical, particularly as we move into this, this um, industrial revolution where automation and knowledge capture and, and capability needs are so different to what they were before. Um, and it's accelerating. And if, if groups are not connected into centers of excellence, they run the risk of, of, as fragments, not progressing as fast and not providing the right opportunities for those who, who reach out to them, particularly in regional areas. So that's an interesting point. Let's let's turn our attention briefly to the mining environment. What does the fourth industrial revolution mean in your view to today's mining environment? Sheila, I have I have two views on the on this matter. One one is the you know the advantages of of the fourth industrial revolution. But we should never lose sight of, of the social impact, socioeconomic impact of, of a, any industrial revolution. And if we look back in history, whilst industrial revolutions have accelerated um, society, accelerated our access to technology, accelerated our ability to, to do some amazing things and become amazing um, uh, professionals, there's also been the, the dark side where where there are people who have been excluded. There are whole communities that have been excluded and or, or trampled on in the process. And I think there's a very real risk here that 
whilst we strive for, for something really quite magical in the minerals industry, the fourth industrial revolution, um, for example, automation, um, the ability to, to access minerals whilst treading on the ground a lot more, more um, sustainably. We still, we still at the other side of it, there, there's a human element we need to take into account. So for me, I, I'm, I'm conflicted. Um, on, on the one part, I'm excited. Another part, I feel we need to take responsibility for those who are not participating in that opportunity. So let's follow through on that. What are some of the things that you think uh, we need to particularly be careful about when we think about the social impacts of mining uh, and, and innovation in the mining space? I, li I listened to a keynote address by Dr. Usiyungo Kabomba from, from um, Uganda. He's a senior lecturer of law and the director of human rights in the Peace Center um, in, in Uganda. And it startled me when his, he used a phrase which was, not everyone is looking forward to having minerals discovered in their backyard. And, and he spoke about the impact it has on society, the fabric of society, and and the way it can you know, provide opportunity for few, but not the many. Um, so I think we need to be quite cognizant of what it means um, when we talk about community impact, when we talk about the minerals industry advancing society, we need to be mindful that the, there's a broad spectrum um, and that requires a lot of leadership. And I don't have the answers. All, all I have is the, the sense of, I suppose, <laughs> conflict internally and, and a hope, but also um, an awareness. Sure. That was the, the uh, a cautionary note. What of the positive things? When we think of the challenges of uh, ESG uh, and the need to facilitate transition to cleaner source of energy, how do uh, centers of excellence potentially contribute to reaching that goal in, to use your turn or phrase, a sustainable way? Sheila, I'd suggest that, you know, the, the ESG component um, is one of the one of the critical elements that the industrial revolution, the fourth industrial revolution, can really help uh, the mining industry and society deliver on. And in order to do that, we need to think about um, sustainable mining. But really, when I talk about sustainable mining, what what I have in my mind or the frame I use is how do we extract the minerals or, or the mineral wealth out of the earth without moving waste um, or moving as little waste as possible? And once we've extracted it out of the earth, how do we process that in a way that uses the minimum amount of water and the minimum amount of energy? Um, that to me is the, the technical aspect of ESG that can then help deliver on, on um having a lower impact on communities and lower impact on, on the environment while still providing the minerals we need for the green revolution. Now, in order to do that, we need to take a very scientific and engineering um, optimization um, lens to this. We need to develop the sciences. We need to develop the capability. We need to develop the knowledge. 
and the robotics and automation, the data aggregation and so forth, allows us to distribute and disseminate that learning a whole lot quicker. So the mm. centers of excellence as a mechanism to, to help accelerate the learning, that's for me the exciting part. Um, and and it, it's multifaceted um, and can have a huge impact for what we strive towards. Mm. But as, as I've heard you highlight so many times, the leadership that's required in these centers of excellence to advance um, is critical. I hear from you a sense of agency and the importance of us uh, very quickly recognizing the the need to use technology to address the two things. One was waste and one was water. I wonder whether you can explain for someone who's not in mining, why is waste an issue? from a, a, an environmental and a sustainability and a, market, um, a mining footprint, uh, physical footprint perspective. Sheila, so, so the waste, mining waste, is essentially the, the um, remnants or, 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 or the, the material that doesn't contain economic portions of, of um, the mineral, the rock matter that doesn't contain the economic portion of rock. It also encompasses the, the waste from the extraction and, and from the processing um, process. And that involves um, the use of chemicals, the use of, of materials, and the, and the use of water as part of the process to extract the minerals from the rock. Um, the biggest problem with the waste, besides the, the environmental use of, of materials or use of resources, is the sheer volume. So tailings, which are the facilities that hold the bulk of the, of the waste, tailings volumes are set to, to be in the order of 11 times domestic waste. Now, that's a huge amount of space. It's a huge amount of land that just physically um, is then um, um, unable, you're unable to actually use that, that, that land. So the footprint then becomes more permanent. The other part of the, the tailings waste challenge is, is it's very hard to keep these tailings facilities stable. And there's always a risk that they then move or, or they break their banks. Um, and then not only the environment, but communities downstream can be affected. And there's always that risk. So there's a risk of, of disaster. And we've gone through many of these in, in recent years, um, as well as the volume. So these, these are negative footprints of mining. Um, and then, of course, water. The problem with water is is the use of water um, in these processes um, and the contamination of water. So, how do we manage not only the, the efficient use, the efficient, but also the efficient recycling of water for for the world and for the environment? Hmm. So, uh, basically, uh, what you're saying is that we need to find different ways of mining such that either there's less waste collected and there's less need therefore to create spaces on land and sterilize land in order to accommodate waste or uh, we need to find better ways 
to dispose of waste in a way that restores land uh, to its uh, use. Is that what you envision when you think of technological breakthroughs? Yes, yes. And, and also added to that is not creating as much waste in the first place. So I think that's where the greatest breakthroughs can come um, in terms of science and engineering is how do you improve the processes in mining to extract the minerals in such a way that you produce a whole lot less waste and you use a whole lot less water. Sure. So you you reference robotics. You know, if one looks at uh, images of mining in different parts of the world, one often sees images of men uh, barely uh, properly dressed, using shovels. I mean, how is that representative of mining today relative to this, what you envision as the use of robotics? This seems like, you know, miles apart. Which one of these represents modern day mining as it, it happens? Uh, Sheila, I think there's a spectrum. There's There are many examples where you go to a mine site and extraordinarily high-tech. High um, many of these mines are operated from operation centres thousands of kilometres away. And in the Pilbara of Australia, there's some excellent examples of mines being run remotely. Um, not completely, but certain portions of those mines being run remotely with robotics, with automation, and with remote operations. But that's not the full, that's not every part of industry, we must be cognizant that that it's the, I suppose, the privilege of the few that have access to such incredible um, technology, such incredible capability. So the vision of, um, you know, uh, people with their hands deep and dirty in, in the mining process still exists. And I think there is opportunity through centers of excellence to enhance the business opportunity for groups in artisanal mining, for example. So to really reshape and use that technology to help others. Um, so I think there is a spectrum that the, the, the highly sophisticated mining systems bring about enormous benefit to, to the owners and the operators because you're able to process things without putting people in harm, um, in harm's way. You're able to advance how much you extract um, and you're able to, to advance access to those minerals. Again, one of the key criteria for, for um, uh, resourcing the green energy transition. So there are huge opportunities with technology to, to help many people. I suppose this is what you meant in your opening remarks when you said uh, fragmentation uh, uh, is, is a major issue in which centers of excellence and industry at large uh, is not working together and therefore uh, access to information, access to, to technology is fragmented. I, I, I guess here we are seeing this range that you speak about in terms of those who are in the cutting edge space of mining technology and those who are on the margins. Is that the kind of fragmentation that you were decrying? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and then coupled with that is 
access to defragment. So how do you make spaces for people um, to, to advance their technologies when they don't have the exposure to them? And I think centers of excellence play a brilliant role in being able to transfer technology um, and make the industry better for all. Hmm. You, you just referenced uh, the importance of mining in terms of, uh, you know, transition to clean energy. Uh, what if at all is the link in your mind between uh, mining, technology, the fourth industrial revolution, and our ability to meet uh, modern day demands for clean energy? I think that's a great question because that that is something that um, many people in the minerals industry uh, we see it very clearly we see it very obviously and we we are, are not very good in communicating um, what that looks like so for for me every piece of technology every you know I, I, I even even down to to my wedding ring I've used this example before um, my wedding ring um, which weighs ten grams in gold I've weighed it. And um, it, it actually serves no other purpose but to, but to remind me that there's somebody in the world who loves me enough to spend the rest of his life with me. Now, that ring has about two to three tons of waste sitting in a tailing somewhere. Um, and, and I've made it a, a mission to try and you know, do my part in, in trying to minimize the waste for, for what it is for what we all use. And every piece of technology we have, every, every you know, our fridges, our computers, our phones, they all contain minerals that, that depend on a whole supply chain um, and a mixed sourcing supply chain. Now, the green energy revolution is about having more technology at our disposal. In essence, um, we may be using less petroleum and a lot more of other things, but, but there's a huge amount of minerals required to allow us to use less energy as, as humans and as societies. Um, so they're interlinked. There's an interlinking here between everything we have and everything that is mining. Um, it's just so inextricably interlinked. So the green energy transition for me represents the demand for our minerals, the need for our minerals in, in terms of servicing that demand, but also the challenges around it. It also represents a huge opportunity for the disadvantaged. And for me, that's, a, I suppose, an, a central piece that that we need to we need to ensure happens that this this is not a biased um, opportunity for 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 the for the haves. What do you mean by it represents a huge opportunity for the disadvantaged? Well, Africa is a continent of youth. It's a continent that has. Um, it's at the hands of colonization from the last industrial revolution or previous industrial revolutions. Um, and it has been segmented according to boundaries that are not necessarily of African of origin. Um, and Africa is the least 
least it has the least impact when it comes to energy use it has you know a significant portion of the world's resources um it has a huge talent pool untapped talent pool um and we see so many nations moving into africa to to take advantage of the situation uh, be that um china the us australia canada um europe all moving in on africa um and when i look at this as an opportunity i see that 65 60% of african population is under 25 years old they represent a africa represents an incredible pool of youth um predominantly disadvantaged by circumstance and when we look to the future and the capability pipeline there is essentially in the next 7 years africa will represent two out of every one um person under 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 20 or 25 so the advantage sorry the opportunity here is if we can educate africa and provide provide the opportunities this is where our future lies i i i i see it as as the you know the the huge the industrial revolution the green industrial revolution if we want to call it that is although africa doesn't have a footprint it does have the resources to solve the world's problems mm. so coming back to the centers of excellence you know provide these centers of excellence defragmented and providing avenues for for knowledge and technology and development could help africa leapfrog the rest of the world um in their leadership and impact right mm. so um what what do we think about the fourth industrial revolution transition to cleaner sources of energy um is is clear that it's a partnership between governments uh and an industry in in the space particularly of innovation who leads who, who between these two entities must we look to to unlock that potential and to facilitate that cohesion and uh, address dif- the the fragmentation. Tila, I think that's a really good question and and it it ebbs and flows. I think that governments should play a role in in stimulating um in providing opportunities um and ensuring that those opportunities are equitable. um the role that industry plays is really to drive those drive those opportunities the need um as well really to drive the demand um industry can play a significant role in in creating um um technological advances for applying those advances and for creating opportunities for people um to to share in those advance advances and um, we cannot be done without governments government and good government um plays a significant role providing the leadership providing the call and and the regulation and governance around ensuring um that it is equitable that it is yeah that it is done as well mm 
Mm. What are we seeing? So that's the idea. Uh, in especially major market countries, uh, what are we seeing? Are, are we seeing that partnership manifest successfully? Or is that another area of fragmentation that might well delay uh, the pathway to this new, uh, if you wish, mining uh, age? Mm. So I can speak from my experiences in Australia. Um, and having been a, in a former role, the, the general manager innovation at Metz Ignited, Metz Ignited was an, indis, an interesting um organization in that it was a collaboration between industry and government to advance a sector being the mining equipment technology services sector and what government was looking at the federal government was looking at was to advance the export capability of australia and transition the economy well not transition fully but but start to transition the economy away from being a dig and ship, basically digging out the minerals and shipping them out of the country, um, to, to one that had a much more mature service sector and therefore increased the export capability of Australia. And so Metz Ignited would then initiate programs along um, research development um, around creating hubs or centers of excellence around um, engaging industry and research, looking at regulation and advancing the business perception around innovation. So that has been quite a successful um, initiative and you're seeing this come together in that in that it could play a voice that bridges industry and, and um, government at federal level. And then, of course, hold sway when dealing with, with state and, and other bodies. So I think there are some great examples of how um, creating infrastructure that connects industry and government. It's not without its challenges, particularly around um, power. Um, but those can play significantly. We're seeing the Industrial Revolution accelerated in Australia. And, and whilst you can't <laughs> attribute that to a single organization. Um, I'm quite confident in, in suggesting that Metz Ignited played a vocal role in accelerating um, that process. So mm. that is, it is possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Defragmenting, essentially playing a role defragmenting the landscape. So, so you spoke about uh, uh, the challenge of power. Can you can you explain how? the uh, the power issue uh plays out in the space and 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 to what extent it may be problematic so i think power is a, it's a complex concept i don't have my head fully around it um but i do recognize that power has a lot to do with identity uh, as well as greed um and the greed spectrum um and, and greed to altruism spectrum. I think you find in industry, you tend to be, or industry tends to be wanting to grow and be bigger and be more. There's this consistent drive towards growth, um, whereas in a more altru altruistic fashion, the government would want to be distributing 
benefit um, and yielding power in a different way. Um, and I think that's kind of the power dichotomy that that you see in a in a entity like Metz Ignited. Um, so having a bridge to those power forces allows a more um, balanced view of how to progress an initiative. Mm. And it comes back to making sure that there's collaboration between multiple parties. Because it's not to say you don't want people to be powerful or you don't want organizations to be powerful. They serve a purpose. But it's balancing that power to ensure that it's meaningful and impactful for, for, for in my mind, for, for a better purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so basically what you're saying is that uh, when when you have two powerful entities, the it, it's important to understand the power dynamic, its impact on uh, you know on people and and its impact on the decisions that are made, and then the importance of moderating any potential negative uh, impacts. I, I guess put another way. In the corporate sense, power is also a source of competition uh, among corporates. How is that playing out, especially in the uh, mining industry innovation space? Because my sense is that there, there are certain things that are generic, uh, which benefit everybody, and they, they don't really give any competitive advantage. And then there are certain pieces of innovation that give distinct advantage. How is mining balancing these two aspects in order to create that critical mass of drive towards the fourth industrial revolution? So the fourth industrial revolution plays an, an incredibly important part in, in servicing the advances in mining. Now, in those advances of mining, some of them will be in the competitive space and some, some, of, some of them will be in the less competitive space. The successes have been in the less competitive space, the, the collaboration that's required, the engagement that's required. So when it comes to less competitive space, that could be safety, matters of safety, matters of ESG. So this, this drive towards a shared goal to, to make a lower Im impact on the environment, including energy. So there's there are collaborations, for example, like the Electric Mine Consortium in, in Australia, where various mining companies and service providers are working together to solve this challenge, um, to calculate how, how to solve it, to optimize it, um, because it's for a greater good, it's for a shared good. Um, it's no good one organization solving the, the energy use um, challenge and they're not sharing it with anyone else. It's in the interests of the industry as a whole to do better in, in the decarbonization and, and generally in the ESG. Where it becomes more competitive are parts like how do you draw out information or use less resources to identify um, potential mineral deposits or the extraction of the optimum extraction of of resources in the mineral processing process 
but there are collaborative initiatives that work quite well. So Myra Global, for example, has what's called the P420 project. It's, it's a benchmarking study in, in the, the function and the effectiveness of the, the mining process or the plant. And, and what happens is the researcher is running a project, the Curtin University in this case, and the data that they collect is from a, a range of, of mining companies. And mining companies can see whether their um, particular performance is against everybody else's work, but they can only identify their own dot and how their dot is moving, so to speak. So there are ways of dealing with competition but it does, you know, the competition itself is healthy, but you just need to be respectful for what it means for a business, I think. Absolutely. That, I hope that's answered. <laughs> no, it does. It, it does. And 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 uh, the fact that you're drawing data, for instance, from different uh, minds, but that everybody has a window that allows them to see uh, their own space is, is a very uh, uh, good indication, but also the distinction between uh, generic safety, uh, environmental, technological breakthroughs versus things that speak directly to the commercial space like mineral discoveries and the technologies thereof. The, the distinction is quite clear. But uh, uh, sadly, that's all we had time for, uh, Jackie. Thank you very much for taking uh, time to speak to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Uh, I've, I thought this was very insightful. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Sheila.